Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam John Quest, joined as always by Tyler Burton. We're going to dive into a big softball matchup coming up this weekend against OSU. We're going to talk about the prospects of OU playing softball on Owen Field. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about football recruiting and everything that's going on there, and then we'll wrap it up, of course, with some baseball talk. I, I don't think we'll have an Adam's Optimism segment because things are still going wet relatively well, so we won't force the optimism there. But uh, before we dive in, Tyler, welcome in. How are you doing? I'm good, Adam. We'll see if baseball can keep it going. Do it three weekends in a row. Obviously, coming off uh, you know back-to-back series wins over Kansas and down in Austin against Texas, but a little bit of a different vibe on this week's podcast. Not going to be too much football going on. Uh, we're going to touch on recruiting just a little bit. Some big things going on behind the scenes with the 2024 and the 2025 class right now. But you know, Adam, we're we're finally in the point of the season where Diamond Sports is the main focus right now. Obviously, postseason play is coming up here very very soon. Uh, for Patty Gasso's squad, uh, Skip Johnson's crew looking to make another run to the postseason. We'll touch on that here in just a little bit. But, man, all in all, things are good. Excited for Bedlam this upcoming weekend. Absolutely. And it wasn't that long ago with softball that we were talking about setting an attendance record for a regular season game up in Oklahoma City when OU played Texas on Friday night. They set the record. I don't remember exactly the number. Probably like nine or 10,000 uh, people attended that particular game. But uh, recently, the talk has been, could OU host a softball game on Owen Field? Uh, mainly because Nebraska set a record. They're going to have 80,000-plus in attendance for a volleyball match uh, this fall uh, at their football stadium. And so everyone's kind of talking about that. And we tweeted out, you know, uh, I guess, are our, our we overimposed Marita Hines Field on top of Owen Field? And it doesn't quite fit. The dimensions would probably be about, in my, in my estimates, about 7 to 10 feet short on uh, one of the outfield walls there. So you could certainly kind of jerry-rig it, but it would take a lot of work to make that field ready for play. You know, mm-hmm. Tyler, I guess there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just does it fit. Like, you have to determine, do you put turf down? Do you have dirt? Like, there, how do you put the netting up? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. You know, what's your overall opinion on how feasible that is? I think it's something that's definitely very realistic. Obviously, like you alluded to, Adam, you're going to have to get creative with it from a schematic standpoint. Um, And, you know, putting that softball field, obviously with putting home plate kind of right there in the southeast corner, it doesn't doesn't fit perfectly. Uh, You would have to get creative, obviously, you know, maybe having almost like a, 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 you know, the the green monster like we see at Fenway Park. You'd have to maybe get a little bit creative with that uh, on the left field line over on the west sideline. But, uh no, I, I definitely think um, it was kind of funny. You know, we talked a little bit about it in the group chat, and then you put the thing out on Twitter, and we got a, some pretty good traction. I think we got some really good responses uh, talking about it. Obviously, you know, Jada Coleman, uh, Jocelyn Allo, and even Patty Gasso, you know, kind of like interacting with a little bit. They've seen some of the renderings uh, that are being talked about. And, you know, Patty, for, uh, she's obviously, you know, she's already, you know, kind of mentioned it to Joe Castiglione. This is something that, you know, at least has been talked about, how serious this could be one day. I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, there's there's not a better program. There's not a more popular premier program in the country right now uh, in a state that loves softball, you know, to its core than what we ha- have right here in Norman, Oklahoma. So is it something that is doable? Yeah, I think so. Um, definitely, I think for a one-off scenario, you know, you do this one time, it has to be the right matchup. I think that you have to have the right opponent to come in because ultimately it doesn't do yourself any good if you – you know, decide that you want to put this in the in the football stadium, and you only have five or six thousand fans. If you're going to do this right, you know, bring in maybe maybe you do an SEC opponent, or that could be the opportunity for you know once OU is in the SEC in the next year or two, maybe you know bring Oklahoma State back 
and, and play him inside on Owen Field. I think that would be really cool. But you could definitely do some really cool uh, things with it. Um, obviously, putting that softball state field right there, you're going to have the entire, you know, from the 50-yard line on to the north end zone. So maybe you kind of build a few other things around it. You know, maybe you get a music act in there, do something to, to where you can try to drive 20 to 25, maybe even 30,000 fans into this. Because again, do I expect 80,000 fans to turn out for spring game or for a softball game? No, absolutely not. But if you could figure out a way to get 25, 30,000 in there, charge 10 bucks a pop. I mean, Adam, for, for one night, you could, you know, see upwards of a quarter million dollars in ticket sales. And I think it's definitely something worth pursuing. Yeah. You have to remember that Nebraska's volleyball program sells out their basketball arena for volleyball on a regular basis, which is, you know, roughly around 10,000 people that are going to those types of uh, events. Whereas softball, I know we get tons of sellouts, but Marita Hines is roughly what, 15, 1800 people at this point. So there's a large gap there between what softball is currently drawing, even though I know it is, you know, currently sold out, but you and I kind of have a perspective on what waitlist looks like. And I expect them to sell out, you know, every game in the new stadium and loves field, at least in the first season. But I don't know if that's necessarily a guarantee uh, going forward. But yes, there is quite a bit of logistical challenges to doing a softball game in Owen Field. I think you, I don't think it's something that could happen in 2024. I think it's at least two years away because you have to decide, you know, how do you build that net or that wall in the outfield? How do you, I, like, I don't think you tear out the grass and put dirt in for one game for softball. Wow. I think you probably have to put a mat down. You have to get turf out there. Not a lot of softball programs even play on turf. Um, but you'd have to find a turf that you could put in and install just for one game. Mm -hmm. And then think about all the other little logistical things. Like you need to put your bases out there. You need to have all the equipment and everything that a softball game uh, would require. And you have to do that within the confines of probably a three game series. Cause you're not doing that on a weeknight. You're probably doing this on a Saturday. You want to make it the big event that people fly into from around the country. It's their special event. People from Dallas are able to drive up. Um, and then, you know, you have to do that in between a game on Friday and a game on Sunday. That's a mm -hmm. lot of logistics. That's a very hard thing to do. It's not the same as, as volleyball as far as just rolling out a mat, putting down the hardwood out there like you can uh, with those types of events. So um, a lot of logistics there. But I think you could, if you did it the right way um, with scheduling and the right opponent, this is not a preseason or an exhibition. This is uh, something that you need to tell fans, hey, this is a big time matchup. We need everybody there. I think you could draw, you know, a crowd of, of 50,000 plus. Um, so certainly you something think, interesting. You think that much? You think they could get that many people in there? I think if they did it the right way, um, I think I think it's possible. Yeah. Interesting. I almost kind of wonder if when you talk about the layout of the field, putting you know home play down in the southeast corner, if they if they moving around, you know, between any of the four uh, you know corners, do you use the outfield? as almost kind of like a like a you know patty's party type scenario where you've got a feel where you've got kind of like a party going on in the outfield obviously you know if you're jason ferris you know the the director of the uh uh the the football field operations and the maintenance you know he, he's probably you know pulling scratching his eyes out just the thought about this having to dump all that dirt in there and you know make some pretty serious uh you know changes to the football field in the middle of, the, of of spring practice and all this stuff going on but no it, it is definitely something uh, that i think is worth kicking around a little bit see if oklahoma chooses that they want to pursue this you know set it up like you alluded to make it a spectacle make it the biggest thing you know in, in the sport in the in the state uh for for that given weekend and you know create a uh, a large turnover or turnout but anyhow we can uh, we can talk about that a little bit more in the future one thing i do want to touch on adam uh, Oklahoma just won their 11th straight Big 12 championship. Um, Patty Gasso's squad, we're 
I feel like we say it every single episode. We're running out of superlatives. We're running out of ways to describe how dominant and how good the softball team is. It's essentially get me to Oklahoma City in June. Just figure out a way. Let's get to the College World Series. Let's really start ramping this thing up because, like I said, ultimately, I know that you know they're in the middle of a midweek game right now, makeup against Tulsa, where I think they're up six nothing right now as this is being recorded. Uh, and then obviously the uh, the big time matchup up in Stillwater this weekend against the Cowgirls, but. I mean, what more can we say? It's just, it's the best, it's the most dominant program outside of gymnastics right now on the Oklahoma campus. It's incredible what Patty and this group have done. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of sad that the wind was taken out of the sails of the potential Bedlam series matchup for the Big 12 tournament, but in a way, I'm kind of okay with that. Oh, you can go to Stillwater this weekend, already locking that up as far as winning 11 straight regular season uh, Big 12 championships, and you know, I, I, I'm, I guess we'll talk in a minute about OSU and how much of a challenge we think that might be. But yeah, another ho-hum weekend there. Did you see the dance, the coordinated dance they did after the game? No. Okay, you'll have to go check out Chris Plank's Twitter because the whole team was out in the infield doing this coordinated dance. I don't know how I feel about that just yet because, I don't know, I, I guess I'm glad that that was done at home and not on someone else's field after a Big 12 championship win. Yeah. Maybe they, they wouldn't have done it anyway, but I don't know. It felt kind of weird, at least uh, for a program that's constantly winning the Big 12 if, championship. I, so. th- I think I ha- I think I have seen it. If it's the same one that they've done the past couple of years. When Is they, it? When they have I just it. missed it then? I'll have to go back and check. We'll, we'll double, uh, we'll double down on that. But I mean, Adam, you look at this, you know, just talking about what Patty's group has done this year. As we sit here on May 2nd, we've got one more series to go in the big 12 regular season. This team is 45 and one. 15 and 0, 37 straight wins, undefeated in Big 12 conference play in a conference in which features four top 25 teams, three of which are in the top seven. And Oklahoma has just breezed through this thing like it like it's been nothing. So again, Patty talked to the media a little bit earlier this week. She talked about how, yes, uh, you know, a little bit of the wind has been taken out of the sails for, you know, how big of a matchup this up is up in Stillwater from a national standpoint. We thought that this was going to be a one versus two type series, but we have OSU to thank for that not coming true. But we know, Adam, that you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Stillwater, this this is Oklahoma State's Super Bowl. I know ultimately, you know, they're looking to, to be competing for a national championship, but this is your opportunity. Yes, you can't win the Big Twelve, but you've got OU, the perennial powerhouse, unanimous number one team in the country, coming to your building for a weekend series. It's going to be it's going to be Senior Weekend. It's going to be sold out. It's going to be a crazy environment. And Patty talked about how she's looking forward to watching how her group is going to respond and play in this type of environment. So, um, again, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You've got this team, you know, from the the one through nine in the lineup, the pitching staff just playing really, really good complimentary softball right now. Jada just won Big 12 Player of the Week. Jordy Ball, who is getting back to her dominant self, if not more dominant than what we saw from a year ago. She just won Big 12 Pitcher of the Week. So it, it sets up a, a big-time matchup this upcoming weekend against number 7 Oklahoma State, who 41-9 and on the year, 10-5 and in conference play. They're coming off of a series uh, win up in Lubbock against Texas Tech where they outscored uh, the Red Raiders 21-5, to taking two out of three from them. Um, and, you know, Adam, just kind of doing a quick glance here at what this uh, at what this pitching staff is going to have to face in Stillwater on Saturday. OSU's got six players in the lineup hitting 300 or better. That's that's really good. It's not Oklahoma, but it's also by standards across, you know, comparing the other teams across college softball. 
very very good led by the three-headed monster of Rachel Becker leads the teams and uh, leads the team in runs and hits Kylie Naomi the shortstop uh, and Michaela Wark who between these three Adam 22 home runs 120 plus RBIs between the three of them so that's kind of the three-headed monster that's that you know drives the ship uh, for Kenny Gajewski's group. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very interested to see how Jordy, uh, Nicole May, and Alex Duraco challenge this cowgirl lineup. Yeah, definitely. Rachel Becker is kind of, uh, if you look at the, the leaderboard for Big 12 hitters, she's sitting there right there amongst a bunch of other Sooners in that top four. So uh, you know she's got some game that she's going to bring to the plate there. You know, overall on this series, um, you know, OSU's got three different pitchers. They kind of do the pitching staff like OU does. So we'll see some different ones throughout the weekend. Um, but the team's not really in, on a hot streak right now. Um, they're, they're definitely in a slump, losing six of their last eight. They got swept by Texas. They've lost to Iowa State. They've lost to Texas Tech. They've lost twice to Wichita State. Um, you know, they come in. If you look at, you know, the difference of, of OU and OSU, you know, and we, I think we've seen this in past games where OU's gone on the road to LSU or they've played Florida State in the midweek or they played UCLA at the beginning of the year. Even within those top 10 teams in the polls, OU still is, is almost light years away from some of them at some point. A good stat to look at, I think, as an example of that is OU has double the amount of home runs OSU does, 88 to 44. So, yes, I'm sure we're going to get OSU's best shot. But as it stands today, Tyler, like how, how competitive do you think this matchup is going to be? Because we kind of said the same thing about Texas. And there was that one game on Saturday that it was close. So you had to come back and scratch and claw in the seventh inning. But other than that, OU was pretty much in control of the other two games. Do you think this one will be a little bit closer? Well, I think, Adam, when you tried to forecast how competitive this three-game series is going to be, that's kind of up to Oklahoma, don't you think? I mean, if Oklahoma's playing their A ball, if the pitching staff is as dominant as we've seen for the last month of the season, Oklahoma State doesn't have a chance. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade, for, call it for what it is. I think one of the things that is going to be interesting, and, you know, Friday night always sets the tone in a three-game series. You're going to have Jordy Ball uh, going up against the redshirt senior in Kelly Maxwell, who, you know, Oklahoma fans are all too familiar uh, with, with Maxwell. She's 14-2 on the year, 1.47 ERA. Uh, she's had a very good season uh, from a national per- perspective, and you know ultimately she'll have an opportunity, you know, to be one of those, you know, um, you know leaders for, uh, you know, Big Twelve accolades. So again, Jordy versus Kelly Maxwell, I think you go out there and you take care of business, and that sets up a matchup where if you want to go Nicole May or you want to go Alex Starocco on Saturday, I kind of feel like Saturday you're going to see from the Cowgirls, you're going to see Lexi Kilfoyle. Uh, who again, another you know experienced pitcher. She's a she's a senior. Also has a sub two ERA as well. And you know even though she's been good this year with the twelve and four record, she's kind of gotten lit up like a Christmas tree. Uh, she's given up eight runs in her last three outings. So again, it's not so much about what the other team can do. It's not so much about how well Oklahoma State can play. If Patty Gasso's squad is firing on all cylinders, one through nine, and in the circle as well, Oklahoma State doesn't have a chance. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about football recruiting wise. There's a lot of things going on in that world. Since we last recorded two wide receivers have committed to OU mm-hmm. uh, Zion Kearney last week, the, uh, the top 100 guy by pretty much any recruiting site that you look at. He's a 2024 guy. He's coming in to OU. Uh, and then you've got uh, Grayson Harris uh, coming in from just outside of, of the Dallas Fort Worth area, a little bit South of there. 
out of Ennis, Texas. He's a 2025 guy. His ranking isn't as high right at this moment. I think that's just nature of 2025, and there's going to be a lot of shuffling and movement over there. But still a well-respected four-star guy, um, top 150 in several of the recruiting sites that you look at. Um, Tyler, does anything stand out about either of these commits so far? Yeah, absolutely. It's the fact that Emma Jones went into the state of Texas and pulled out two, you know, top 150 guys out of the DFW area, you know, starting here in the class of 2024 with Zion Kearney, uh, four-star wide receiver out of Missouri City, Texas. Uh, I think uh, he's listed at 6'2", 195, ran a 4'2", 840 uh, at a TCU summer camp. So the fact that you've got a guy that's 200 pounds running uh, at that type of speed, uh, tremendous size, speed, athleticism, great hands. Uh, according to On3, he's a top 60 player overall in the country. Uh, and anytime when you've got Emmett Jones, who's been on the staff for you know less than six months, and he's able to go into the state of Texas and go against programs like A&M, LSU, Arkansas, for a guy as highly touted as Zion is, this is a big time get for for Emmett Jones. And then you you know you look ahead to the 2025 class, Adam, uh, Oklahoma getting the uh, the commitment from two sport athlete uh, Grayson Harris. Four-star kid out of Ennis, Texas, five foot nine, hundred sixty pounds is what he's currently listed at. Um, this is a guy that can truly take the top off the defense. Electric in the open field after the catch. Uh, and again, I know that we judge coaches based on how their guys play. Uh, you know, during the fall, during those 13, 14 games. But if you're going to hand out a raise, you I would seriously consider giving you know Emmett Jones a raise just by what he's done in the last you know couple of months on the recruiting trail. And when you start when you start looking down the list of some of the other guys that Oklahoma's in for, especially in the 2024 class, like a Bryant Wesco, um, Emmett Jones and this and Jeff Lebby and this offensive staff, they, there's no sign or any indication right now that they're going to be slowing down anytime soon. So uh, it, it's a it's a big time uh, spot that Oklahoma's in right now in wide receiver recruiting. Yeah, Bryant Wesco is the name that I think a lot of OU fans are already familiar with. He's the five star uh, again from the Dallas area, but He's a guy that almost feels like, you know, is on the verge of committing to OU. And at that point, mm-hmm. your 2024 class is pretty much done. And I think done. we're, I think we're already seeing the, um, I guess the, the harvest of that because now Emmett mm-hmm. Jones can fully focus on 2025. We've already got Grayson Harris in the fold. I know it's a long way out and especially with receivers, those guys can change their minds, you know, on a whim constantly. So we'll see if that ends up sticking, but I think it definitely helps you can say, okay, my 2024 guys, I feel good about, I can go focus on 2025 and even start building those relationships with relationships with those 2026 mm-hmm. guys. And he's got a huge leg up on pretty much anybody else that's still working to put their class together at this point. So you got to love mm-hmm. that. And I think Zion Kearney, I think he's one that I'm going to choose to be a little bit more excited about just because it's, it's the 2024 class. I feel like that commitment means a little bit more than anyone from the 2025 at this point, but you look yeah. at his film, he's a guy that is six, two. And like you mentioned, he's got the speed. It's, it's harder to see it because he is a longer strider. Cause he is, he's got longer legs. So he doesn't look like he's going as fast, but still at the same time, nobody's catching him. So I think he's kind of that ideal size you know, that you want the guys that you see in the NFL on a regular basis, the kind of the rare size and speed combo that we saw maybe from CD lamb, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't had that in basically anyone else. It's been almost all small guys like Marvin Mims or Sterling Shepard or, you know, OU's poor track record of the really big guys like yeah. Devon Miller, Jaden Gibson, so Jeffrey so Mead, forth. Jeffrey oh, Mead. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I, he's, he's big enough that he's going to be bigger than most college cornerbacks. 
but not too big that he's sacrificing all speed, quickness, and and so forth. So I, I think you got to like that a lot. Well, I think that, you know, we knew that Emma Jones was going to be able to come in and, you know, kind of pick things up from a recruiting standpoint at the wide receiver position, just from what he did, you know, bringing in talent up at Kansas and then out in Lubbock, but, you know, at Texas Tech. But, you know, I think we seriously underestimated how lethal this guy could be on the recruiting trail. Now that he's got the OU patch uh, on his pullover, he's able to go in there with the brand as strong and as prestigious at a place like Oklahoma. And you pair that, Adam, with the fact that, you know, Oklahoma was able to get, you know, their 2024 quarterback, uh, Michael Hawkins, in the boat as early as they did. And now not only do you have Emmett Jones and, and Jeff Levy and some of those guys that have that deep heart, you know, deep ties and those connections to the state of Texas, but you also have your your quarterback for your class down deep in the heart of that DFW area as well. So this is where I think where you're going to start to see some of the other positions around these guys. Uh, Oklahoma being able to go in there and land some commitments as well, like a you know a, a Devon Mitchell, uh, who sounds like from everything that we've heard is going to be reclassified to 2024. OU's in his top five, uh, and you know we know from the the relationship that he has with the the Hawkins family, Oklahoma sits in a really good position for that kid as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. He threw another guy out there, uh, the 2025 linebacker uh, out of the state of Texas that you know Emmett Jones because of those connections and you know, those deep ties in the Texas high school football, uh, you know, uh, the, those schools. Uh, it's it's a big, it's a great time right now, uh, not just for Emmett Jones, but for OU recruiting as well. And uh, we'll see if we can't capitalize uh, on that momentum on the defensive line side of things as well. Yeah, the defensive line is an area that I think probably OU fans are focused on more than anywhere else because obviously that's, your, that's, that's the uh, missing link. That's, all, missing that's link. what you're missing out on. It's the area of need. And OU has the potential right now, you know, if these guys were signing their letter of intent today, OU probably has the best defensive line class in the country. Obviously, there's a long way to go. And none of these guys have signed just yet, but I think everyone knows the names. David Stone, the Oklahoma City product that's down at IMG right now. You got Nigel Smith down in Melissa and in that North uh, Dallas area. You've got uh, Williams Winery out of uh, Kansas City, the same high school that Caden Green is from. And then you got jo- uh, Joseph or Jonah Joseph Ajanye. We need to find a good nickname for him because that is a that is a tongue twister there. It's, it's a cool sounding name, but a little bit of a tongue twister. But And I'll throw a fifth one in there, uh, Zadavian Sims out of Southeast Oklahoma. Bingo. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's kind of some, uh, I guess, different opinions out there as to whether OU's really pursuing him that hard or whether Oregon leads there. Um, we'll see. We could be heading a little bit more in a little bit more direction of clarity, but he's a guy that is, you know, a top 250 player as well. Pretty much all these guys are top 100 top 150 uh williams winery is number two overall in 247's uh rankings right now so these are really uh-huh. really highly rated guys that oh you just really not uh, had a track record of success with before brent venables came to town but now OU has a chance you know if things were to end today that they could get all those guys how special would a class like that be Oh, it would be huge. It would be a game-changing type class, uh, you know, for, for, especially for the program as a whole as Oklahoma looks to transition in the SEC uh, in 12 months from now. So, again, this is a big-time test for for Todd Bates, obviously. Um, kind of n- not saying that he came up short. Obviously, you land P.J. Adabare, Ashton Sanders, Derek LeBlanc from a year ago, but it kind of feels like the, the sting was still there, obviously, with, with Oklahoma missing out on David Hicks. So this is an opportunity where – um, you know, Todd Bates, he, he's got he's a he's got a year in the in the program with Oklahoma, a year's worth of relationships that he's built up with the five kids that you just previously named Adam. And, you know, with Oklahoma going into the SEC, playing that type of schedule and that type of opponent week in a week out, 
you've got to have those guys in the trenches, especially on the defensive side of the football. And so you start going down the list. Obviously, David Stone, like you alluded to, Oklahoma City kid, played his first two years at Dell City, 6'4", 285-pounder, five-star. Michigan State, A&M, Florida and Oregon are, are in this thing a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, if you see the way that the crystal balls uh, are flowing right now, Oklahoma sits in a good position. Nigel Smith, uh, you know, and then Joseph Jonah, uh, Ajanye, uh, all all two, uh, all three of these guys so far, you know, right, um, on three top 150 guys uh, at their, you know, uh, respective positions. And then, like you alluded to, I I don't want to – one, I'm not overly confident in all. Uh, I think that we probably land one or two of these guys. We're not going to land all five. Um, but you start going down these offer lists and you start seeing who some of these guys, you know, like a David Stone or, you know, JJA, Nigel Smith, these guys who have their visits lined up, other programs that are recruiting these guys heavily, you know, Texas and Texas A&M are the two that are kind of, that are kind of uh, in common with some of these guys. And you know, the links that those two programs will go to uh, when it comes to, you know, trying to get kids to sign the dotted line with some of the some of the cash, some of the incentives, some of the perks that they throw these kids' ways. Uh, all legal Basin, at this point. All legal at this point. So yep. you know what? Ad- adapt or die. So Oklahoma's got to get with the program, but I think that this is a situation where Todd Bates, Brent Venables, you know, uh, Miguel Chavis, you know, they pride themselves. They base this program. It's, it's a relationship, not a transactional type program. And we'll see if these relationships that they've been building with mom and dad and these recruits We'll see if this can't win out uh, over the course of the next six or eight months. But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I've been burned one too many times on the defensive line room to go ahead and say I feel good about where Oklahoma sits right now with this position group sitting here on May 2nd. Well, we all know that those coaches are just laying the groundwork, and we need to get to the point where Ted Roof can come in and be the closer that he is, uh, win the hearts and minds of those moms, uh, and, and, and be the closer. So uh, I joke, but if, if OU is able, we're seven months out from signing day. Like, There's so much that can change. It could be two weeks from now, we could say all four of these or five of these guys are, are looking in other directions. And, um, but but you know, this is still a point that is unprecedented for OU recruiting over the last decade or so um and even going back even further than that you know if OU is able to close on on all four of these guys that would be absolutely insane just looking back at okay what have past defensive lines looked like for OU you've got the 2003 group Tommy Harris Dusty Dvorak Jonathan Jackson Dan Cody Um, I couldn't find any stats for that because that was a little bit uh that was a while ago 20 years ago Um, but I'm sure they had incredible production I know that that defense was an absolute beast Um, you look at the 2009 uh, defensive line, uh, a line that I think is overlooked so much because that team didn't have the greatest record, but that defense was absolutely salty with Gerald McCoy, Adrian Taylor, Jeremy Beal had 11 sacks on that roster. And then on the other defensive end, uh, Austin English was a, a stud. He had some injury issues, I think, in that year, and Frank Alexander helped pick up the slack. But, yep. um, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, in my mind, if OU is able to land all these guys, I think that's probably going to be a higher overall recruiting ranking than any either of those lines. And there's obviously oh, a lot of steps between, yeah. And, there, and there's, there's a lot of steps between signing on the dotted line and actual production on the field. Like you have to be coached and developed the right way. You have to have your head screwed mm-hmm. on straight and not be, uh, you know, getting into off the field issues and so forth. Um, but you know, they, they certainly have the potential to be far, far more lethal than that Oh nine group and, and maybe even better than Oh three group. So um, I know we asked a lot of people on Twitter the other day and, and pretty much everyone was like, Oh three, Oh three, Oh three. Uh, and so uh, that would be a uh, high praise if they could get there. But at this point, like OU's got their hat in the ring um, and, and they have a chance mm-hmm. at signing all of these guys. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Like I said, with where we're sitting right now compared to what defensive line recruiting has been in, uh, you know, been about just in the last couple of years, I know that Oklahoma hasn't signed the, the David Hickses of the world or the, the top five, you know, uh, the interior defensive linemen. But, you know, from uh, for, with where we've got the, the program right now with Todd Bates leading the charge in that room, you definitely have to feel, you know, some you've got to feel definitely positive and somewhat good about the direction uh, that the recruiting is going within the defensive line group. It's just a matter of right now, can they close the deal with some of these guys? Because, you know, the, the outside of maybe the quarterback position, interior defensive line is one where it goes it goes all the way down to the wire. Alabama, Ohio State, A&M, you know, these guys are not going to give up just simply because a kid commits somewhere or, you know, sits in good standing with a particular program. So it's going to come down to the very end. We know it all too well from the last couple of years, and uh, it's going to be a, a long line all the way to uh, – excuse me, it's going to be a long road all the way to the finish line. Um, but I think Todd Bates is uh, is up to the challenge on this one. I would expect us to close out with at least three of these guys. By the time everyone listens to this podcast, they'll already know the results of OU's baseball matchup in the midweek against Dallas Baptist. I was just checking the score live. Uh, they're through three innings. OU's up four to one. So we won't have a forced Adams optimism segment. The entire segment can be optimistic here. And so um, just taking a look at where baseball stands right now. They swept Texas. They come back at home. That Friday game got moved up a little bit because of weather, and the team just looked like trash. Um, Across the board, everybody was to blame. Uh, Just an ugly, ugly game against Kansas on Friday night, but the team bounces back uh, Saturday and Sunday. uh, I think you got to really love the performance that you're getting from Braden Carmichael at this point on Saturday, and then Jamie Hitt um, going extended innings on Sunday, uh, highlighted, of course, by a couple of great defensive plays in the outfield by Spikerman and Pettis. Um, Pettis actually, I think, was second on Sports Center's top 10 uh, for his grab on Sunday over the outfield wall. So some things coming together, still looking for a little bit more consistency. Um, I know in the midweek here, you're, you're playing Dallas Baptist. They're number 15 in the RPI right now. So getting a road win against them and seeing Carson Atwood um, dealing through the first couple of innings, um, you got to like that. Oh, you can finish that off. Um, you know, right now, RPI wise, OU is just barely in the tournament. If you were just say, hey, just going based off of RPI, 64 teams get in, OU is 59th in the RPI. That may not, you know, that's not exactly how they select the, the teams. Um, but, you know, there's, they're hanging in there. Uh, you know, you would have liked to see a sweep against Kansas, but um, that just didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about it on the podcast last week. Obviously, you know, sweeping them would have been ideal, but you take two out of three, you keep the, the momentum going. Uh, you know, you've won six out of your last seven. Obviously, we sit in a in a really good position right now with a 4-1 lead over Dallas Baptist in the midweek stretch. So, uh, again, Oklahoma, you know, continuing to climb themselves out of the hole that they dug earlier in the season. You've got a big-time matchup coming up this weekend on the road out in Morgantown against the first-place Mountaineers of West Virginia. So, Adam, throwing it back over to you, is is this something where it's totally feasible that Oklahoma could go up to Morgantown and take two out of three? Or um, is it almost we're, we've got too much confidence in this team right now because of the fact that they just went on the road to Austin uh, and swept the Longhorns at the time? Man, OU baseball is just so – it's been so Jekyll and Hyde this season. Mm-hmm. You play great against TCU – Turns out TCU might not be as good. Um, then you go on the road and you, you you drop a total egg at K-State. You do the same thing at Baylor, but then you beat a top 25 team in Austin in a sweep, the first ever three-game sweep in Austin for OU ever. Yeah. Um, so I, I just don't know what to expect. Like, if we get OU's best, great. Like, 
we're going to go to Morgantown and we're going to get some RPI boosting road wins against a team that maybe not everyone is aware of, but they have the best record in the Big 12, not just in conference play, but overall. Uh, they've got probably what some people consider the best pitcher in the league uh, in uh, in Blaine Traxel. He'll be probably their Saturday starter, so he'll go up against Braden Carmichael, a guy that you know, if you asked us a month ago, like what's his role on the team, it was kind of like, well, he's probably a midweek guy and now he's starting on day two on the weekend. So you've got a really balanced team in West Virginia that you're going up against a team that's second in both pitching and hitting in the conference, just overall team ERA and batting average. So um, they're going to be a tough team. West Virginia has got some great, uh, you know, skins on the wall in regards to going out and beating still uh, OSU in Stillwater in a three game series. But at the same time, they've also lost to Kansas at home in a three game series. So they may have some, uh, you know, some weaknesses. I think that OU could exploit. Um, they're going to be very aggressive on the base paths. Um, no one has actually attempted more steals uh, in the Big Twelve than West Virginia. Um, just one more than than OU at this point. So, um, you know, that's a team to that OU can really make a big difference and start making up some ground in the RPI. I think there was a graphic that that was on the screen uh, against Dallas Baptist earlier today, and OU's RPI at the same time last year was like number 35. Uh, right now they're at 59. So uh, OU obviously went on that run late in the year to really set up well for for postseason seating. And I don't think OU's going to host. Like that's pretty much out of the question at this point. But they can certainly solidify themselves, get off of that bubble with some great performances at West Virginia. You've got a, a road series in Spokane, Washington. That's going to be a fun week of travel yeah. to Morgantown and Spokane. Uh, Gonzaga is not necessarily that great of a program this year, but road victories, you take them at this point. And then come back home. Last weekend of the year, you've got an OSU team that's top 25 in RPI right now. You can take that series. It's right there before you. That's going to be really tough. They're, they're, they're a good ball club out of, out of Stillwater there. But the wow. opportunities are there, there for you. It's not going to be an easy road, but you have the ability to play your way into – the postseason tournament uh, based on what they've done over the last two weekends. But at the same time, you know, those are all good ball clubs that you're going to be playing. You could be playing yourself out of the tournament at the same time. Yeah. I totally forgot about the late season road trip out to Spokane. That's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting series for me, obviously girlfriend's family, diehard Gonzaga fans, uh, Bree's brother pitched for, for Gonzaga for, for four years. And, you know, she obviously uh, did a couple years of undergrad there. So that's going to be a lot of fun, but you know, Adam, I really don't have too much on baseball. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this team continue to compete against the best in the Big 12. Uh, obviously, going out to Morgantown, it's a big one for a big opportunity for Skip Johnson's crew. And just a couple, you know, random little tidbits here, Adam. Uh, OU softball just went final, six nothing victory over Tulsa, and Tyler McComas uh, from uh, <laughs> KREF uh, just just pointed this out. Oklahoma's pitching staff collectively as a team, zero point seven nine after today's shutout victory. <laughs> so just try to figure out a way, OSU, to just score one run, and you're already doing better than 90% of the competition uh, around the country. And then also, Adam, one last thing here in recruiting uh, with o- with uh, OU football, uh, sophomore wide receiver coming off of a fantastic freshman campaign out at Colorado, Jordan Tyson is in Norman right now uh, on a visit. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what's going on. Uh, see if OU can't add another transfer uh, to, to that position group. Obviously it's at a huge position of need uh, with some guys with the math athleticism and uh, with that skill set that he has obviously having an opportunity uh, to come in and compete right away. Adam, we didn't touch on it. Uh, I didn't think we needed to, but Oklahoma did lose three more football players in the transfer portal since we last recorded uh, Colin Montgomery, Jamarian Burt, Damon Harmon, 
Oklahoma trying to get the numbers back down to where they can hopefully add a couple more pieces from the portal. Hopefully one of them is a is a uh, offensive lineman. Obviously, we had a couple of guys that were in for the spring game that still have not committed yet. So we'll see Bill Beanbow coming off of a uh, nice little weekend for uh, for Billy B uh, with some of his guys in the NFL draft. We'll see if he can't capitalize on that and uh, reel one or two of them in this weekend. Yeah, definitely some spring cleaning that uh, happened at OU last week. And none of those it, games names are guys that you nope. feel – yeah, I mean, you want them to go be successful. I, it was exciting to see Jaden Davis get uh, the opportunity to go to Miami, his hometown, yep. uh, and play still in the Power Five there. Kind of a rarity of guys transferring out of OU at this point. Um, I think probably next week, maybe that's what we should do, is dive in a little bit more on transfer targets, guys that have committed, because I think we'll definitely have some more clarity there. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Keon Coleman, yeah. a familiar name there. But see, Adam, be, uh, th- an interesting one for the Sooners. But see, Adam, this is the point that Oklahoma needed to get to. You look at what Alabama does. You look at what Kirby Smart at Georgia does right now. They don't. They simply don't allow guys to come in and simply just take up a roster spot. That, but they don't ever see the field, you know, during their time on campus. So that I just th- think that that you know kind of highlights even more the job that this coaching staff has done, where they're recruiting so well. Some of those guys that are left over from the previous administration, they're getting out recruited. So you've got guys that are, you know, juniors, even seniors that are forcing to look elsewhere because of the job that this coaching staff has done in each of the last two recruiting classes. So again, hate that you, especially for a guy like Demond Harmon, that's played pretty decent amount of football over the last year or two. Uh, but obviously, Colin Montgomery, Jamarian Burt didn't see the field hardly at all. Um, so again, hate to see him go. Appreciate what they did, but also. Uh, those are three guys that uh, that we no longer have a roster spot for. And, you know, hopefully you can replace them with better superior talent that can make a difference in between the lines. Definitely. Well, I think that's going to put a cap on it for us this evening. We don't take for granted anyone that listens to this podcast, anyone that follows us on Twitter or YouTube. We, we greatly appreciate that. If you're not already following us there, you can find those links in our show notes to go follow us on those platforms. And uh, we'll be back next Adam, week. Adam, wait, 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 wait. Ep- Adam, wait. Yeah. O- over under two and a half wins. OU softball in Stillwater this weekend. That's an easy over for me. Taking the sweep. I love it. Love it. Yep. We'll see you guys You're next time. It? Hell yeah, I'm taking it. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll see everyone next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.